Thank you for joining this session titled Transforming from Deficit-Based Healthcare to Aspirational Healthcare. I'm really excited to be your host. It's Dr. Josh Luke, author of Health Wealth for You and Health Wealth is Healthcare Bankrupting Your Business, both available on Amazon. We're going to talk a little bit today about the overarching message of this track is that employers can transform to aspirational healthcare by being proactive within the three main components of primary care. And those three components we're going to focus on today are primary care, musculoskeletal care, and behavioral health. So with that, I want to briefly introduce each of our um, panelists and also presenters, and then we'll start with our first presentation. So uh, why don't we start uh, with Daryl Moon, CEO of Orion uh, out of Utah. Daryl, you want to introduce yourself briefly? Sure. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So my background is I used to run hospitals, and about 20-plus years ago, after running 10 hospitals, I decided to focus more on putting fences at the top of the cliff than simply fixing people after they fell off a cliff. So I've spent the last 20-plus years building solutions that change population behavior to help people stay healthy and not fall off the cliff, as well as manage population mental health. All right. Thank you very much. And Matt Vanderkoy, who's president of Solve Global out of Wisconsin. Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Luke. Um, I'm Matt Vanderkoy, uh, co-founder, president of Solve Global. And we exist for the explicit purpose of helping protect people and employers from musculoskeletal disorders, the number one cost in chronic disease, number one work comp uh, spend, and the number one cause of disability. All right. Thank you very much. And, and last but not least, Dr. Dennis Gari, who's founder and CEO of Bowtie Medical out of Ohio. Please introduce yourself. Hi, and thank you for having me here. I'm a surgeon scientist uh, who spent uh, over 30 years in the traditional academic uh, clinical path, uh, uh, founding a new subspeciality, operating on thousands of patients, doing research, uh, uh, through the NIH until I discovered that I need to focus my attention on this biggest sickness of all, uh, which was the sickness of the healthcare system on itself. Therefore, I founded Bowtie Medical a few years ago to focus on how we can disrupt the existing sick care system uh, toward a better healthcare system. Thank you. Thanks to each of you for sharing and, and getting us going here. What I'd like to do is just ask, ask Dr. Dennis Gari if he would go ahead and do his screen share and do a brief presentation for us about what he and Bowtie Medical are doing um, to really solve this problem. Uh, thank you, Dr. Luke. There's no question that majority of Americans think that our system is sick. Uh, this is a front page of a USA Today at the beginning of COVID-19 and also at the beginning of the 2020 presidential election. The question is why the system is sick. Uh, based on solid research and data, we are the most expensive healthcare system in the world. We are unaffordable for our own population, and we all are suffering from dysfunctional systems. This system over the past 60 to 70 years has created the poorest outcomes among the civilized nations. It has increased the chronic conditions among Americans. Majority of us have one to three chronic conditions from obesity, diabetes, to musculoskeletal system. And the system has primarily turned into a sick care system. They see us only when we are sick and they financially benefit 
from when we are sick. In a graphic fashion, uh, uh, is, uh, if this is the patient uh, on the right side and if the doctor, there are too many intermediaries in the, in the middle. The solution really goes back to system innovation to realign the care delivery toward keeping a person healthy, realign the, uh, the doctor and the patient together. So the doctor and the group of doctors will look after the health of the patient rather than the financial interests of the hospitals. In this process, we have to engage the consumer to become a customer. So therefore, in, when we realign the patient with the, or the consumer with the provider, that trust, uh, that alignment could also be extended that the provider could help the consumer to do price shopping, advise them on what they need and what they don't need. Very much like the financial advisors models. The providers, when they're aligned with the consumer, they can benefit them financially as well. At one point I heard the CEOs, they were comparing how many cranes they have on their, on their uh, campuses. That became the point of their success. They're not measuring their success based on how much health they have created their own communities. To the contrast, in all the major, major markets where there are uh, too many of these large uh, financial institutions called hospitals, the quality of the care is poorer and the cost of care is higher. The reason for the first one is very clear because there is no competition. The reason the quality of the care is poorer is because the unnecessary care creates uh, harm. Unnecessary care creates uh, errors. Currently in the US, medical errors is the number three cause of death after cardiovascular disease and after cancer. So in summary, we need a system innovation that begins very simply going back to the origin of what the healthcare was about, a relationship between the doctor, uh, a provider, and the consumer and then turn them into a care team where that care team will look after not only the physical well-being of the person, but also after their um, financial well-being. That's why I love your book, uh, Dr. Luke. The wealth and the health are very related together. So it's no longer hospitalization is a, is a medical disaster, is a financial disaster. So the job of this new, newly formed care team becomes to keep that person out of the hospital and healthy. Uh, what we have done in Bowtie, we have divided this into really um, what we call a Bowtie care that provides a virtual care to take care of acute care, chronic care management, health targets, and mental health. Based on the concept that more than 90% of the healthcare need of a person is primary care, and more than 90% of that primary and frankly about 50% of the specialty care can be delivered virtually. And the reason for that is majority of the exchange that takes place in the physician's office or in any other physical uh, interaction is nothing but collection of data. So what we have done in Bowtie, we have digitized this process of information taking. Rather than asking you 15 times, where is your, what is your insurance, you know, what is your age, where you were born, and so forth, all that data is gathered in a in a, in a health cloud based on, again, this uh, 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 scientific study showing that 90% of our care is need is primary care and less than 5% is really complex care. 
So we have uh, created a comprehensive primary care that takes care of not only acute care uh, when you know I have backache or my child has an earache, but also we uh, go after your chronic condition, make sure we will reduce your risk of chronic condition, we address your wellness needs, and we also want to help you to stay in your health targets. And we collect this in a, in a cloud-based health data, and we look after your health uh, with a care team. The second and essentially, and I think uh, uh, equally important, is what we call bowtie advice that we take that the trust and alignment that has been created within the consumer and the healthcare provider to help them to price shop, to see where is the best quality for the price, where is the uh, fair prices, where are the referrals, and also help the consumer to decide whether they do need that knee surgery or hips, hip surgery or the back surgery and, and, and the rest of it. And I stop there with this picture that I think the future of the healthcare, the way we see it, is really digitalization of the data, all the clinical data, all the demographic data, and putting at the fingertip of a healthcare provider who knows the person in details, and they haven't forgotten it because they have everything like there. And therefore, I see the role of this new segment of the healthcare, which we call health guardians. We watch like an air tower control your health anywhere you are, wherever you are, to make sure you remain healthy and active, uh, you have a full life. And I believe biologically, uh, most of us could live up to 100 uh, without chronic conditions. So our goal is really to uh, provide this health guardianship toward the, not only just the uh, care for our members, but also mitigate their health risks mitigate their identify and uh, realize what is the risk they have and reduce that. The same process we've done with several other successful industries. In airline, within 117 years, we have taken uh, the air travel from a dream uh, to a safest mode of transportation in the world. Uh, the donkeys and cars kill more people on the ground, the airplanes on the air. I believe we can do this much better with the healthcare. We can deliver a health guardian who is watching our health and would help us to have a full life beyond 100. With that, uh, I'm going to ask Matt Vanderkoy, uh, president of Solve Global, if he would uh, do his presentation. So thank you, Dr. Luke. Um, why musculoskeletal disorders? Well, the musculoskeletal disorder problem, problems with aches, pains, strains, uh, problems with bones, joints, ligaments, nerves. It's a problem most people don't think about, um, most employers don't think about, but it's actually the number one chronic disease in regards to dollars spent. It's the number one cost in workers' compensation, often more than 60% of a company's claims, and it's the number one cause of disability. So musculoskeletal disorders is a big problem, and it's also one that we can solve um, in regards to the waste that's in it if we actually switch and change our mind, mind shift. Um, Dr. Donish Gary talked about we need to, instead of have a sick care spending, we need to have a health care spending uh, or a health care um, system, not a sick care system. And that really resolves around getting upstream 
um, and getting proactive instead of reactive, which is what I believe uh, Daryl would call aspirational health care. So, so we decided we, musculoskeletal disorders was a place we needed to focus. And what's really kind of interesting is we, uh, a few years ago, we had a choice to make. You know, do we decide that we don't just want to work with musculoskeletal disorders, but want to help the other chronic conditions as well by providing aspirational health care? And we really realized at that time that one of the big problems with the healthcare system is big healthcare systems decide they want to be all things for everybody. So they try to design a system for everything that's wrong with a person such that if a person has something wrong, they say, take it here, we can fix it. And that creates terribly inefficient business models. So what we had to decide was what were we going to focus on? And we decided that we were going to focus on what we could be best in the world at and what we're passionate about, which is musculoskeletal disorders. And how do we go about solving those things? And what do we need to think about with musculoskeletal disorders? Because I think there's carryover to the other parts of healthcare as well. And when we talk about musculoskeletal disorders, one of the biggest problems we have with it is there's a lot of waste and it's very reactive. And when we think about physical therapy, actually, how it was traditionally done is that it's rehab, which is in the lower left-hand corner of this slide, which is really about relieving, rehabbing, and restoring. But really, if we're going to do musculoskeletal care well, we really need to be thinking about musculoskeletal primary care with prevention, screening, and detection. And we need to move from episodic to actually ongoing, which is also includes health plus type things like personal training, well-being, fitness, and performance. And in traditional physical therapy, often it's about let's rehab a person and then discharge them and send them on their way, wait for them to get sick again. But we actually need a system where we support and sustain people with chronic degenerative neurological conditions and just aging. So we need a system that really looks at things and reimagines what musculoskeletal care really should look like. And what really should that look like? It really goes about, again, proactive and getting upstream. That, that's what it looks like. This graphic here, um, on the x-axis, you see time and expense. And on the y-axis, you see injury and illness severity. With musculoskeletal disorders, we have two injury signatures. One is acute trauma. That's like an ankle sprain. The other things are cumulative trauma, and that's on that, that vector that goes to the upper right. And those are things like degenerative disc disease, rotator cuff disease, carpal tunnel syndrome. Well, the reality with these things is not really diseases. Um, they're problems related to aging. They're related to life stressors, home, work, leisure activities. And the problem with these things is oftentimes we don't engage people with these issues until they're in the upper right on this, on this graphic, which is where you see the $4 signs. And what we also will say is that when people have a musculoskeletal disorder, if their first point of access is the medical system, they're going into a black hole. And we, we know they're going in, but we don't know if they're going to come out. If they do come out, we don't know what it's going to cost. So we want to try to get upstream with these musculoskeletal disorders, get down to the lower left on this vector, and try to address and identify things early before they become chronic costly conditions. So one of the other problems with healthcare, if you look at this slide here in the, um, that circle graph here, this is something that Clayton Christensen, the late Clayton Christensen out of Harvard described. And he actually said that one of the problems we have with healthcare is that 80% of the population does not care about their health until they're sick. 20% care about their health all the time. So what happens is if we don't have a system to identify folks that are at risk, 
what happens is when they can't raise their arm up because they have shoulder pain, they think they're sick, they go to the doctor and they get x-rays, EMGs, MRIs, referrals, medications, and all of these things aren't usually needed. So we need a way to identify things proactively before people become, before they think they're sick. So what we need to do is identify risk in populations for musculoskeletal disorders. We need to be able to see who in my population is at risk today that I can follow up with before they ask me for help. Who, need, who has a help request today? Who in this population has, has risk in regards to what shift is having problems in this employer space? It's, is it D-shift here? What, what department? It's the cold end. What issues are they having? Well, it's actually pulling, and it's forearm and hand and wrist issues. Can we find all these things before they go medical? And it turns out we actually can, and that's what we want to do with musculoskeletal disorders. And then we want to realize when to switch our mindset from musculoskeletal disorders being thought of as a medical condition because they're not medical conditions nine times out of ten out of ten they're functional problems and what I mean about functional problems is they're a problem of an imbalance between a person's individual resources their task or job demands at home or at work and the environment they're doing it in so the solution is not a medication an image or a procedure the solution is restoring this imbalance so can we identify risk in populations and actually be guardians of people and protect employees, identify that risk, and then rebalance this equation. And then rebalancing this equation is not really all that simple. It actually requires moving that fulcrum of that teeter-totter, and this is the fulcrum. And the fulcrum of that teeter-totter, what we need to address to move the fulcrum is biomechanical problems, problems with time, motion, and force stressors, behavioral problems, or behavioral science problems related to beliefs, experiences, and desires, and biological problems related to information, attention, energy systems in the body. So when we're, we're trying to take care of an individual, from a musculoskeletal disorder perspective, I need to also pay attention to what's going on from the behavioral health perspective, what's going on from the biological perspective, and then work with a primary care team to try to address the full aspect of that risk. And I believe that's where we need to think about Switch, switching and shifting gears when we think about what's aspirational healthcare around musculoskeletal disorders and how does that care team come together. So this is what we think about when we think about aspirational healthcare around musculoskeletal disorders. Great stuff. Well, Daryl, so they've gotten us off to a great start. And uh, why don't you just kind of bring it all together and talk to us just a little bit about kind of the topic that we started with, which was moving from transactional care uh, and transforming from deficit-based healthcare to aspirational healthcare. Sounds good. So, a big part of this conference is or is recognizing the great work that the NUCA system of care has done up in Alaska. How it is the best healthcare system anywhere, and what what they learned and why they built a whole new system was because again, healthcare is very transactional, very parental. It's like you have a problem, come to me and let me fix it for you. What the system that NUCA did was said, what if we were to partner with people? And what if we were to try to influence people to take ownership in their own health? Because if you really look at healthcare and healthcare costs, the determinants of a person getting a chronic condition or having to live well with a chronic condition are things that the healthcare system has no control over, the person has control over. So Building a system to support that individual and to support that individual's own ownership of their own health, both the lifestyles that they choose to live, 
the mental health, the, the emotional well-being, those all contribute well. And so what Nuka did was they simply said, well, let's build a healthcare system that's balancing the focus of the providers on the needs of the customers. Well, if we're going to transition as a country to a aspirational healthcare system, it's not going to be the healthcare system that does that themselves. The healthcare system is designed exactly to do exactly what it's doing, and it has no incentive to change anything. The only way the system is going to change is if the buyers of the system, right now often employers, say, we're not going to, this isn't sufficient for us. This is not what we want. We don't want a dysfunctional, deficit-based, expensive healthcare system. If the native Alaskans in Alaska can build a system that's superior in outcomes and costs half as much, that's what we want. We're not going to settle for this broken system. We want something that's going to build health. And so it is the market forces. It is the buyers that can change this. Please, buyers, don't expect that for some reason the healthcare system will change for you. You've got to say, look, this is what we're buying. We're only going to buy this. And we're going to first align the system to work for us. And secondly, we're going to build incentives into whereas this system does work for us. That's where they get more money, not just the opposite. And we're going to focus a tremendous amount of the resources of the system on supporting people in living healthy. Again, proactive primary care, proactive muscular scale. You know, my background is in proactive mental health and behavior change. Uh, that is the focus that we need to move towards. And it's not the health systems that are going to make that change. It's the buyers who say, this is what we want, and this is what we're going to get, and we're going to align the system to give it to us, and we're not going to put up with anything less. Nuka started with the CEO who simply said, uh, perfect care for every person, every time. And I'm not going to expect anything less. And they built that system. And that doesn't mean that employers have to completely build the system, but they need to first align the system with them. And then the system will bring those innovations to the market. So each of you have already kind of uh, covered this a little bit, but I'm just going to ask you more directly. And Daryl, we'll kind of go in reverse order and start with you now. So what will be different in the future based on everything you guys have just shared? Let's start with you, Daryl, and specific to behavioral health, but also as a whole. So I truly believe that the future of healthcare will be um, built around the customer. And I think some of the most exciting things that are happening in the market are innovative health systems and even some megabusters are recognizing that building healthcare around the person is first and foremost. That's what Nuka did. That's why they're so successful. A great example is Amazon Care. Uh, Walmart Health is doing the same thing. These two companies are big enough and megabusters enough that with their long-term strategy of not just building a massively powerful primary care system that wraps healthcare around the person, but when they then build an entire health plan around that person and then offer it to individuals, I truly believe that employers and having the opportunity to get in front of employers a lot, they would like nothing more than to get out of the middle of choosing the health plan for their employees. Well, with the new government ICRA, Individual Coverage Health Reimbursement Account, that came out about a year ago, year and a half ago, employers now have, for the first time in 75 years, the opportunity to get out of the middle of choosing which health plan their employees have. They still get all the benefits of offering and paying for the health benefits, but now with the new ICRA, employers can put money into that HRA, the employees can then use that money to buy what best meets their needs. 
And when their Amazon Prime membership offers them an individual plan that is far less expensive, far more focused on the individual, that's where they'll go. They'll use that power of 100 million members to purchase healthcare, and employers will flee from being in the middle. I truly believe that just like 75 years ago, it only took 10 years where almost every American, the majority of Americans were covered by an employer-sponsored group health plan. I think with the advent of the ICRA and innovative individual plans being brought out by some of these megabusters, employers will say, I no longer want to be in the middle. I'll just simply give my employees the money and I'll let them use their memberships in Costco and Sam's and, and Amazon Prime to buy a much more individual customer-focused healthcare system, and they'll get out of the middle. That's my vision of the future. Well, that's some great stuff. A lot of that stuff's some of the same same topics I wrote about just helping employers understand all the wasteful spending um, that's taking place um, that could be better spent on uh, as done in the NUCA system uh, by just looking at each patient individually and saying, how can we better care for this person? So, um, so based on what each of the three of you just said, what are the market forces that are going to be necessary for these things to happen? And Daryl, if you want to bring that one home, I'll offer a few thoughts on market forces when you wrap up as well. Sounds good. There's no question that the greatest influence in market forces is the buyer. And I think as I get a chance to get in front of business leaders, I love to ask them, what do you want from this incredible spend you're making? You spend an enormous, often the second largest cost of doing business. And they'll tell me, you know, I want to attract and retain good employees. I want a healthy, productive workforce because the product that goes out the door is directly tied to the health and productivity of my workforce. I want my employees satisfied with healthcare. And last but not least is I want it to cost less. Well, when I ask them, okay, so who's getting an incentive to give you the things you want, basic business 101, nobody. They give their CFO bonus to get profitability, salespeople get bonuses, get revenue, but HR directors never get bonuses to bring those things, four things. And in turn, because they don't get bonuses, the brokers, the benefit consultants, they don't get bonuses to bring that. And until the buyer, business leaders say, you know what, this is what I want, and I'm going to monitor whether I'm getting it. And as I get it, you get incentives, both my HR directors, the brokers who represent the healthcare system, they're all going to make more money when I get what I want. Nothing would have more impact in this country's healthcare system than for simply the buyer to apply basic business 101 to the healthcare system. Now, once they've got the system working for them, one of the best ways to drive a NUCA-type aspirational healthcare model is to say, look, I'm going to take the very same money I'm spending right now, and I'm putting it all into a major medical bucket, and I'm going to stop that. I'm going to say, look, I'm going to take a portion that's going to go into major medical, but I'm going to put another portion into powerful primary care that's proactive, that includes muscular skeletal and is proactively addressing mental health issues. And, and you know what? If you don't want to go get, as an employee, a direct primary care or a physician that's going to really align with you and isn't caught up in this fee-for-service perverse incentive system, I'll give you the money to have a subscription model in primary care. You don't have to use it. But if you don't, you don't get the money. I'm going to also put money over here in a bucket that says, I want someone involved in your life to influence you, to live healthier. You don't have to have it. If you don't want to go get a coach or a supporter, someone that's going to influence you like Nuka actually trained their entire 
primary team to be coaches. If you don't want to have that influence in your life, to partner with you and support you in making complex behavior changes, not just have a wellness program that hands out incentives for people that do simple tasks, but really partners with people to make complex behavior changes, then great, I'll give you some money to do that. If you don't want it, then you don't take the money. And then I'm gonna put money over here on the site for an HSA or an HRA to, to build up consumerism and, and you can roll the money over from year to year. Employers can easily begin to build an aspirational healthcare benefit for their employees and drive the market to giving them that by simply saying, this is where I'm gonna put my money. And I don't have to be the ones that figured it all out. I'll just simply put the money there and let you choose what to buy. And Medicare Medical is a great example. The ICRA allows employers to put money in a bucket and say, look, here's the money. Now you go choose what works best for you. Some might say, I'll go get a sharing program because that works better for me. Other programs will, will look, other people will look for other things like what Amazon will be offering in the future. There's a number of opportunities that come when you put the decision in the hands of employees. And I'm sorry, if, if people say, no, it'll never work. They won't know what to do with it. Just simply take a look at what happened with the 401ks and how everybody thought pensions were going to be the way everybody was forever going to be saving up for retirement. And boy, it didn't take very long when you put the decision in the hands of the people, how that entire industry moved and company pensions don't even exist anymore. The same thing is going to happen with healthcare. And I think that's going to be a good thing for both the consumers as well as the buyers of the healthcare system. I agree with you more, and uh, I think you did a really good job of bringing that all together. You know, as I wrote about in Health Wealth for You and Health Wealth is Healthcare Bankrupting Your Business, I couldn't agree more that the market forces are just going, the consumer's already fed up and can't afford it. Uh, average cost of healthcare for uh, the family in America is more than $25,000 last year in 2020. Uh, and that, that's just for the right to have insurance. That's before you get one prescription picked up or even see one doctor. That's the right uh, because we've been brainwashed. We've been brainwashed to think, oh, my employer pays for it. Well, my employer might pay for some of it, but I know at my place of employment, it's about $700 um, a month, uh, almost uh, $400 a paycheck for when my employer pays for it. And so that's why I just bypassed it and went, went with a cost sharing plan because I want a plan that focuses on me. So I do think the more employees um, complain and take these issues to their employer, that's the market force that's going to drive the employer to ask the questions. And I think Dr. Uh, Dennis Gari said it right, and I joke about this when I speak, uh, which is, you know, the old way of doing it is the broker, who's usually a friend or a, a fraternity brother or something relative, takes you to the annual dinner that costs seven or 800 bucks for two at the nicest restaurant in town. And at the end, hands you an envelope that says, oh, hey, our, our increase was only 8% this year. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, we took two of the benefits away for that 8% increase. Those days have got to stop, folks. And, it, and it's you that are listening and participating with us today that can make that change. And I'll just close by saying this. There's only one thing um, keeping folks from making that change. And if you're the decision maker, I'm going to call you out here. I have the courage to do the right thing. Not, not, don't do the safe thing because it's not safe. In your mind, it's safe to stick with the status quo. You are hired to bring value to your organization, whether you're the owner, the HR director, the benefits director, and you are actually doing the opposite of what you were hired to do by not making a change. If you're still doing the annual dinner and the 8% increase, um, you actually are not fulfilling the obligation that you committed to do because you committed to, to make recommendations and support the proper steps 
for your company to be more valuable. And in your case, that might be better benefits for less cost. You're failing in that regard if you haven't gone down this path and looked at that and looked for a better way to deliver care that focuses on your employees. So I just want to wrap up with that. We're going to do some Q&A now. Um, and, and because there's multiple sessions of this, um, not all of us will be on each of the Q&A sessions, but we would look forward to um, taking your questions and being more specific. So with that, I want to thank each of the three of you for all the knowledge shared. So thank you very much. Okay. Um, good afternoon to those of uh, you that have joined us and have uh, listened to the presentation. Um, I am here from uh, Solve Global. Um, Dr. Donna Scary is here as well to field and answer questions. I'll just ask that you would put those questions in the chat box and we can answer those questions as best we can. Um, this is a uh, question that was put into the chat box. I'll just read it um, and I'll uh, see if Dr. Donna Scary knows the answer to this question because this question is a, a little bit beyond me here. Um, so I'm going to give this one to you here. but. Um, so here's a, uh, the question. The, the question was um, asked by um, a company that they set up um, uh, health um, HRAs um, to um, help with defined uh, contribution tax strategies for helping with the, the um, in employer benefit plans that would help employers with. Um, they mentioned that the Obama administration killed that by changing the rules. Um, but then asked, do you expect changes in the HHS ruling with um, the ICRA um, legislation? Um, and I, maybe what would be helpful, Dr. Donish Gary, are, are you in a position to talk a little bit about the ICRA um, uh, yes, ruling? Yes, yes. Or is that something? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Hey, can, you, can you hear me? I can hear First, you perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um, uh, I think based on the, as you know, the ICRA was um, was created with a, uh, forget the legislative background, I think it was launched in the January of 2020 and with the, um, with the COVID disruption. However, the Congressional Budget Office uh, has predicted that over a million employers will take advantage of the ICRA. And the reason for that uh, over the next three years. So the reason for that is uh, uh, is that the job of the employer as a purchaser of the healthcare uh, was by accident. Uh, so if you're very interested, you can listen to I have some podcasts uh, called uh, "Why Can't We Have It All." It's on Spotify and so forth. We go through the details of this, and many of you know this issue. The employers became the purchaser of healthcare in the U.S. by accident during the World War II because of the wage freeze. Uh, because, uh, and after that, IRS made it as, as a tax-free contribution. But when you look at the concept that uh, the value add, the employer's job is basically look after the business, look after if I'm a manufacturing company, if I'm making furnitures or TVs or cars and so forth, those are my core expertise. My core expertise are not to go and compare between the uh, health insurance packages and, and, and so forth. And therefore, as uh, I think uh, Dr. Luke was mentioning, uh, we employers traditionally have uh, basically uh, leased that responsibility to brokers. And of course, the brokers, I mean, with all due respect to all the brokers, they're there to protect basically their revenue model and so forth. So at the end, 
the expectations are based on again what the Congressional Budget Office and the rest of the industry experts predict that at least in the smaller employer size, smaller means less than 1,000 employees, which forms a significant, the majority of the employers in the in U.S., they are going to take advantage of the individual coverage health reimbursement account called ECRA to get themselves out of this awkward position they are in. From that perspective, they are obligated by ERISA laws uh, to provide health insurance and frankly from a competitive market perspective they want to keep their talents but on the other hand they don't have the resources the majority of the companies you know with they have 100 150 employees you don't have full-time or less than that less than 100 you don't have a full-time person to go and dig in into the health insurance so what ICRA does exactly what uh, I, uh, IRAs does, individual retirement accounts do, allows the employers to move out of that responsibility, transfer the funds, still take advantage of the, uh, the basically tax write-offs and the benefits of the sponsoring the health insurance purchase for uh, for their employees, but they take their positions out of it. So basically what it is, is very much like the IRAs or 403s, the employers contribute to the ICRA account, but becomes the job of the employee to go and find what is best fit for them and their um, their families. Uh, they can go to health market, they can go to you know any other alternatives. So from a design perspective, going back to the uh, aspirational health issue, we welcome this because it removes one intermediary from the system. That intermediary, intermediary is the employers. And uh, therefore, uh, uh, and I haven't heard anything from the from Biden administration that they're against this regulation. Frankly, as a regulation, the train has left the station. It's up to the employers to take advantage of that. And there are a number of uh, companies who are developing the expertise to come and introduce employers uh, to this concept of the ECRA. So we expect the growth that is uh, consistent with the projections of the uh, CBO uh, that is large size of large number of the small employees will move to take advantage of the ICRA. From the early experience that we've had in our company over the past year, uh, there is a lot more engagement for the employee because they feel that they have the power. Uh, they go and buy what they want rather than someone has handed something to them. Uh, they're getting much uh, lower prices. Uh, the fact that they see that some of the benefits stays in their accounts when the benefit is either a cost-saving measure or getting a better price on the MRI and surgery and so forth. So it has all the benefits that a consumer becomes a customer. The consumer who sees the transparency of information, how their money is spent, and therefore we see significant benefit. And frankly, we are very much encouraging the employers to take advantage of the ECRA uh, regulations. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Danish Gary, for laying that out. Um, and I do think really what's really important on the, the with with the ICRA as employers start thinking about that is that they also um, put in resources to help employees um, uh, choose, uh, give them resources of what can they do now with their healthcare dollars because many of them don't know what value-based purchasing is yet um, in healthcare. So that education I think is really important as well. Um, um, so that they're lined up with the appropriate primary care 
solutions and strategies um, so that they can purchase those things and then they can be taken care of how they need to be taken care of. So um, is there any other questions that are out there that folks have? Um, I'm just checking in the chat box here. Um, I'm not seeing anything but um, right now, but one thing I would just really encourage um, the employers to think about is they're thinking about this healthcare journey. Um, there is, is really an opportunity to change the healthcare future of yourself as an employer, but also um, of your current and future teams by the decisions you make. Um, and I did mention current and future teams because what you're doing with healthcare and benefits can be a huge competitive advantage for retaining and keeping employees. Think about how can I line up a healthcare system that really takes care of the primary care needs of my people. And a primary care need of the people is around musculoskeletal, internal health, and behavioral health as the three components you should really be thinking about. And think about upstream strategies. How can we actually put in strategies that help us get ahead of and actually give healthcare, get ahead of the healthcare problem, give healthcare, as opposed to sick care, as Dr. Donish Gary mentioned in his previous uh, comments today. So if we don't have any additional questions, I will sign off with that. I, I thank uh, Dr. Luke and, and Daryl Moon and Dr. Donish Gary um, and Orient for hosting this conference. Have a good uh, remainder of your sessions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Luke and Dr. Donish Gary uh, and Daryl Moon. I'm Matt Vanderkoy from Solve Global. Um, as we um, finish the recorded session of the um, portion here, please put your questions in the chat box if you have any. Um, and we will try to answer those as they come up. Um, I do think, though, uh, a take-home that should be reinforced here at the end of this conversation is the importance that as employers, um, you can control the healthcare future of yourself and also of your current and future team members in your organizations. And I say current and future team members because I believe what is done in this area can be one of the greatest retainment and recruitment strategies for a company. As um, has been talked about in this conference um, and is out there in the literature uh, or in the uh, in studies and also in the, in the news that 66.5% of bankruptcies are caused by medical bills or injuries related to work. So um, huge thing to do for your employers. And the important part is to make a decision to take control. So the question might be the where do I start? So NUCA has been the model talked about in this um, collaborative meeting we're, we're having here over this last two days. How, how do you do that in, in your facility? We don't have a NUCA anywhere near our facility, but here's the beautiful thing. The, the goal is that you take those NUCA principles and you apply what you can. Um, an example, in central Wisconsin here, we have a poultry producer, uh, Breakbush Brothers, that we work with. Uh, they have established their own health center, and they have a mini NUCA model. And what happens there, like with NUCA, it's not a primary care physician quarterbacking everything for the team. It is actually a primary care team with each group focusing on their level of expertise that is taking care of the needs of that population, all within this health center there. We have um, our group uh, with Solve Global taking care of the musculoskeletal needs. 
there's a group taking care of the internal health, a primary care provider um, for internal health needs. There's a behavioral health group. There's a chaplain group taking care of spiritual needs. There's actually financial advisors that come in that help the employees with that. And actually, there's health coaching as well. So, so it can happen. And that is a company of about 1,200 people in that location. So, but what if you're not that big? What if you're not 1,200? Where do you start? Well, the first thing is to manage your health care like you would manage any other area of your business, which means look at the data. Um, you have to look at the data to drive decisions. So where do you know you have data? Well, every company has data in workers' compensation. The loss runs are, are captured by the insurance provider. Those loss runs should come to your organization. You should be able to look at those loss runs and say, do we have a musculoskeletal problem? And if it's over 30% of your work comp spend, recommend you consider thinking about a musculoskeletal solution. On the group health side, look at your data. If you're like most companies, you'll have significant spend related to MSDs, related to cardiovascular cancer, diabetes, obesity, and mental health issues such as depression. So make a decision where you're going to start there in regards to controlling your costs and in trying to start with NUCA principles. Now, what if you don't have data on your group health site? Well, if that is the case, it's time to ask your broker and tell your broker you need that data so you can make decisions. It's not acceptable to not have that data. If they can't provide that data, it's time to find a new broker or a benefit advisor that can help you um, in this in this goal. But again, the key is you can take you can take control of you and your organization's healthcare future. To not decide is to make a decision. So I would encourage you to start where you can. If you look at the um, chat box, you'll see contact information for the three presenters of this group. We're happy to answer emails um, as we get them and, and happy to um, send your emails uh, to the right collaborative partner in regards to the question you might ask. And in the rest of the meeting here, um, I would encourage you to um, check out the next breakout session. Uh, I'm sorry, the next keynote session, which, which starts uh, uh, very shortly here. And I would also encourage you to attend the breakout sessions um, here at the end of the day. And if you look at the top of the chat, you will see um, some of those groups that are meeting. So um, just to go over those real quick. You'll, there's an employers group, um, there's a health benefits consultant group, healthcare systems and providers group, health insurance companies, membership groups and associations, population health specialists, and also colleges, universities, and students. Well, thank you very much. Um, I've enjoyed the time here at this conference. I really want to thank Daryl Moon and Orion for the work of putting this all together. Um, have a great rest of your day.